Hello, and welcome to the Nerdsplosion Podcast. I'm your host, John Wintrop, and with me, as always, is the Candid Clark himself, Sean Clark. How are you doing today, Sean? Well, it would be better if my laptop would actually be working, so that's why the audio will be a bit off on my phone, but it's good to be here. Nice to have a special guest, which we'll introduce in a second. But yeah, doing all right, but could be better if my laptop was actually working, so i got to figure that out. Yeah, I could always increase the audio quality in the edit, right? <laughs> this is also true, too. However, we do not just have Sean here, like he said. We have a special guest, a person that I haven't talked to in a few years, but I thought would be excellent to be a guest for this week because of the content we're talking about, and that is my old friend, Matthew Kanyes. How are you doing this morning, Matt? I'm doing pretty great, John. I appreciate you um, having me on the podcast. Uh, I was surprised when you texted me about it, just saying, hey, if you wanted to be on there, I was actually really happy. I was telling my girlfriend, I was like, this is it. I was, I've been waiting for a moment to just talk about anime with everybody for a while, you know, but I'm great and I appreciate you having me here and I'm, I'm ready to talk. <laughs> oh, get the anime in the moment. First, we, the biggest news that we have to talk about today is the Spider-Man 3 title, which aroused a lot of confusion this week, but we finally got the official one, which is Spider-Man No Way Home. What are your thoughts on the title, guys? So I had saw something, uh, the, the title sounds uh, interesting, like I wonder where he's going to be or you know, what's going to be happening. I had saw something that said it's only going to be like a, a Christmas special. Like, is that true? Is it only going to be around Christmas? That's what I've heard as well. I don't think that we've gotten specific confirmation because of how secret Sony and Marvel are trying to keep the plot of the movie despite some of the casting leaks happening. Right. But that's what I've heard as well. It's very interesting how... In all three MCU Spider-Man movies, all three of them have home in the title. You know, the first one was Homecoming, the second one was Far From Home, and now it's No Way Home. And it does make sense because at the end of Far From Home, we had a post-credit scene where Peter's secret identity was revealed. So let's just say he can't exactly go home because, yeah, he, let's just say he is a very wanted man right now. So the title does make sense. It does have a nice ring to it, and... It's funny in some ways, but I think it works. Yeah. I also think the title has a bit of a double meaning. Of course, talking about the fact that he can't go home because of his identity being public. But we also know that this is going to be a multiverse film just by looking at the cast for this thing. (laughs) Since we have Jamie Foxx and the Alfred Molina, the actor that played Doc Ock and Spider-Man 2, both returning as their as new takes on those original roles that they had in the in those older Spider-Man films, as well as Doctor Strange being in it, it's very likely that No Way Home also refers to the characters from the multiverse not being able to go back. Seeing a bunch of different Spider-Man is going to be very interesting. We saw that with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, but to see it in live action is, it's going to be really weird to say the least, and I'm intrigued to see how they pull this off. Yeah, Tom Holland has sworn up and down that we're not going to get Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield, but... I don't know. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) We'll just have to wait and see. But the film is currently set to wrap up filming soon and has a release date near the end of this year on December 17th, which, of course, adds to it being a Christmas movie. It's the same reason why Into the Spider-Verse was as well. And it, of course, is once again being directed by John Watts. And we'll see the entirety of the cast return, as well as, as I mentioned earlier, Ben the Cumberbatch, Alfred Molina, and Jamie Foxx as returning characters but maybe not in the witheral sense 
I'm I'm excited to see Doctor Strange in this. Obviously, I'm I'm I wonder like how this would tie into the multiverse of madness if it does at all. I mean, obviously, it does in some way. It's the MCU, but I am definitely excited to see him in that. Yeah. Moving away from movie news, we, this past couple of weeks we've gotten so much Nintendo news it's almost exploded my brain. Oh my! <laughs> Especially when it comes to the Pokemon, considering how big of a fan I was of Pokemon when I was a kid, and I haven't played, I haven't touched a single game in over a decade. And the announcements this past week might have changed that. <laughs> <laughs> Time to start playing again, I think. Exactly, we're getting. Not, we're not just getting remakes of Pokemon Diamond Pearl, but we're getting a bunch of new stuff. But we'll talk about the remakes first. Um, as Nintendo and the Pokemon Company and Game Freak announced this week that they're remaking Diamond and Pearl, which of course were my first Pokemon games, um, into Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, which will release near the end of this year on the Nintendo Switch. Now, I got to say, I am beyond excited. You know, like you said, you were playing Pokemon since you were a kid. Me too. I, I remember going to school and uh, I was uh, I was a closet fan I refused to tell anybody about me liking Pokemon or anything but I would have all the games I would be playing them all the time and um, after hearing that they're remaking Diamond and Pearl me personally those were some of my favorite Pokemon games that were released because just they were just they were different to me they were just so fun you know getting to have to you know go out and find Dialga and Paul, I believe it was Pialka, if I said his name right, the big pink one. Yeah. But just to see it brought back and then going to have intensified graphics, like the graphics alone, when I saw the trailer to it, I was like, man, this looks great. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of what Nintendo did with the remake of Link's Awakening last year. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of people complaining about the quality of the of the graphics and to that i say we still have almost a year before this thing comes out <laughs> right i mean plenty like, of time for them plenty to clean it up. and i appreciate them keeping the the overall style of the game instead of doing what, like what they did with let's go pikachu and eevee which came out two years ago now i think um, we kind of used the new game engine and then just remade the story of the, the older games within it. I appreciate them not doing that for this. Right. That way they can just, you know, keep the nostalgia for us who actually <laughs> enjoyed the older version, you know, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because most newer franchises, like we're going to talk about Final Fantasy later. Um, but Final Fantasy has completely changed how they go through their game design in order to modernize their games. And it's interesting that because Pokemon is so big and there's so much that they can do with these games now, that they can still have the modernized newer stuff like what we got with Sword and Shield, which um, I have a, quite a few friends that have tried to get me into playing it. And I just it just doesn't seem like my thing. <laughs> Um, and still have Pokemon games that have the older turn-based overhead um, with the chibi-style characters mm-hmm. and have both of them exist at the same time. Right. Um, aside from the remakes, and I think the thing I'm actually way more excited for is that we got a, um, word of a Pokemon-style RPG, not not your typical turn-based RPG, but one where like you actually go out and explore the world and discover it for yourself, kind of similar to most um, 
classic JRPGs or say like things that Bethesda makes like Skyrim or the Fallout games where you play as a trainer exploring the world that was first introduced in the Pokemon Diamond Pearl games, the Sinnoh region, and a feudal Japan-style Pokemon adventure with starters from other regions discovering the entire continent for yourself for the first time. Now that I'm excited to play. Just I can already imagine it now, walking around and, you know, like you said, RPG style. Just like alone walking up to Pokemon just so differently from the old games where they would jump out on you, you walk in some grass, and then you get attacked. But now you're going to be walking up on them. You get to – I could already see, like you said, it's going to be more like Skyrim, things like that. I'm excited to see how the actual gameplay is going to be once it actually comes out. The interesting things that I noticed when watching the, the small amount of video that we got is you can capture Pokemon without battling them, which – Makes me wonder if they're not going to use the turn-based system for this, kind of similar to um, Pokemon Snap or the other spinoff games like Pokemon Ranger that we've gotten in the past. Mm -hmm. Which could be really interesting and something that Pokemon's never really done before, but we have seen in things like the anime. Uh, I'll be honest, like, you know, I, I haven't, I didn't grow up playing Pokemon like you two did, but to to hear that there's a RPG version of Pokemon like does intrigue me, and it may end up being the first Pokemon game that I actually play. Yeah, I should clarify a bit that Pokemon in general is an RPG. They're just like they're just turn-based RPGs, which is really different compared to like what Sean has played with um, things like Final Fantasy, <laughs> which are more action RPG based nowadays. A lot of my favorite video games of all time are action RPGs like Final Fantasy VII Remake or the Gothic Trilogy, which I reviewed all three for the site, or Skyrim. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like an action RPG-based player. And, you know, outside of like Paper Mario, I'm not, I, I'm not that familiar with turn-based. But to have like an action RPG, that does sound really cool to me. Yeah, this is definitely – Pokemon's had a few, like, experimental ideas, like with um, Pokken um, back when the 3DS first came out where they tried to do a fighting game with Pokemon and kind of need to just stick to Smash Brothers. <laughs> but this is interesting. I'm really excited. I'm so glad it comes out near my birthday. Now you know what you can put on that birthday list. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm very excited for this. It's on. This is – when I was a kid, I always imagined – wanting to go out and be a trainer and explore the world myself. And I think that this is Pokemon Legends Arceus is the closest that we're probably going to get to that. So I'm definitely, I don't know if I'm going to buy the remakes day one, but I will probably end up buying this day one. I might even pre-order it once it gets out for pre-order. Pokemon Diamond Pearl, of course, both up for pre-order right now. We have no set release date, but they are coming out this year. And Pokemon Legends Arceus will come out sometime early 2022. And I'm amazed that it looks as good considering how far away it is from its release. Now, Pokemon and Nintendo were not the only ones to have announcements this week, as Sony also had their own Direct. And while most of it is stuff that kind of goes over my head since I don't have a PlayStation, um, Square Enix did announce a bonus chapter for Final Fantasy VII Remake um, titled Intergrad, 
which will be a bonus chapter taking place after the events of the main story and following a fan-favorite character from the original version of the game, Yuffie, as she infiltrates Midgard to steal special materia from the Shinra Corporation while working alongside Avalanche. Sean, you're, you love the first Final Fantasy VII remake game, so I'm sure you have a lot to say about this. <laughs> yeah, I do. So, first of all, yeah, Final Fantasy VII Remake is one of my favorite games of all time reviewed for the for the for the Kane of Clark. And it's it's something that I'm very happy about. It's oh it's good to get more of this game. Like there there's nothing that that you can add about this game that I'll that I'll not love because Square Enix, you know, this, this is like one of his not their, their ultimate babies, is is going to be great. And to see Yuffie have a bigger role in this game is going to be really exciting and it should get focused on more in some ways, like more of the corporation itself. Well, it did get plenty of emphasis in remake. Having a whole chapter that deals more with it, I think is really exciting and it really adds to the mythos of the world and it, it would be good to help set up the sequels because obviously there's going to be multiple games that remake the the original Final Fantasy 7 which is the most popular one so I'm very excited about this uh this is only in the PS5 which means that at some point I'm gonna have to get a PS5 to play this but I mean I'm gonna have to get one at some point anyways so considering you know I have PlayStation gaming and you know it is the best gaming console there is a way to play games so I'm good with upgrading at this point but it's very exciting yeah, it's very likely that the second Final Fantasy VII Remake game, whatever they call it, like a second chapter or second part or whatever, is going to release exclusively on the PS5 knowing Sony. However, what is really cool that Sony is doing with this is that alongside the release of this DLC, Final Fantasy VII Remake will of course be coming to the PS5 same day. And if you already own a copy of it on PS4, you can get a free upgrade to the PS5 version. You'll have to buy the the Intergrad separately, but you'll at least have the game on PS5 if you already own it. Matt, did you ever play Final Fantasy? So not very much. Uh, I mean, just like maybe at a friend's house here, friend's house there. I do have a best friend um, who is a huge fan of Final Fantasy, much like, you know, Sean here, um, where he's played every game. He's talked about the movie he just absolutely loves it so like when he saw um Steffi Roth even being announced into Smash you know so I had to kind of go on the side right there he freaked out he doesn't even have Smash Bros but I have it and he knows I take it he was like oh yeah he was hyped for that he always picks Cloud too just but based off of you know, everything that I've seen like I did watch you know the movie at least with him I enjoy it uh, like Sean said you know I would have to get a PS5 myself as well Unfortunately, I don't have a PlayStation. I'm Xbox, you know. I think that's the real way to play. <laughs> but uh, I, I never really you. had much uh. of a chance to play it. I would definitely like to, you know, get into it more because just after, off of everything that I've seen and heard about it from my best friend, it sounds, you know, amazing. Yeah, Final Fantasy. I mean, like, it's such a huge franchise that sometimes you think that it's a little, like, too popular or it's a bit overrated. But then, like, I sat down and played some of the more recent games and and realized where all the hype was coming from. Square Enix has such a good handle when it comes to JRPGs. I recently finished uh, Nier Automata for the first time, and that's also a Square Enix JRPG game. And they're just so good at crafting 
these intense stories with such well-developed characters while also making the gameplay really satisfying. And they know what they're doing. They know what they are doing when exactly. it comes to that kind of stuff. And their grad is, of course, set to release alongside the PS5 version of Final Fantasy VII Remake on June 10th, 2021. And again, it, as a DLC, it will need to be purchased separately from the actual game. <laughs> um, moving a bit away from video game news, we, of course... Among the news that we talked about last week with everything going on around the, the live action remake of Avatar The Last Airbender that Netflix is, of course, doing that we have we have our own opinions of, and they're not so good. <laughs> um, Nickelodeon is forming Avatar Studios, an animation studio dedicated to crafting animated stories within the universe of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, and... To top it off, to top this amazing news off, we have word that the original creators of Avatar The Last Ambender, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konetsko, will be returning not just to work on these projects, but they will be running the studio as co-chief creative officers, reporting directly to Nickelodeon Animation. Ah, finally, uh, Avatar news that, that has come out since it went on Netflix. So, obviously, we have our qualms with the Netflix uh, adaptation of it. But with this, there's going to be a lot more Avatar content in the, in the future. And even though, in my opinion, you, you do, it's not really needed because the original show is already perfect as it is. Like I've said on the podcast, it is my favorite show of all time. But if these people that work on it or behind it and there's a lot of different mythoses that they want to touch on i'm very excited about it i obviously the creators know what makes the show great they're the ones that made it after all and as they don't forget what made the original show great i think that this is nothing but good news and i'm really excited to see what they do with this because there's so many different ways they can expand on the universe and or like have different interpretations so it's it's very exciting news, unlike you know the news we got last week. Yeah, and it's important to note that the only the only issues that the Legend of Korra had was the fact that Nickelodeon pushed them to make more than one season when they weren't expecting to. If they plan these things out and know how much they're going to do and know exactly where they're going to take each story in in the end. It's very likely that everything that comes out of the studio will be just as good, if not better, than Avatar The Last Airbender. This is true, and as we know with the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, if you have a clear for what you want to do, then let's hope that all, all these projects are not like that. When I first heard about it, I couldn't honestly believe it. I was so excited, because like you said, I know off of the live action that was made before, it kind of, it just, you were just dumbfounded. You are just like, what is this? <laughs> Legend of Korra, you know, Legend of Korra was really good. I liked Korra. Um, at first, I was always like, why is she just losing all the time? Like, compared to Aang and then going to her, she was just constantly losing. Where Aang's the little 12-year-old beating everybody when he first comes out the ice. <laughs> but I'm excited to see, you know, where they take out, like, where they're going to start at. Are they going to start a little bit after the, Air, last airbender ended or are they going to kind of pick up at the end of Korra but or are they going to do it where Aang's a full-on adult where he's you know running the city where he was in Korra before he died so I'm excited to see what they're going to do I also saw that they're making um, an RPG game 
I'm not sure if you had seen about that as well, where you're going to get the chance to play through a couple of the Avatar's lives, such as Kiyoshi, Roku, and Aang himself. You're going to get to play as the, like, the past four before him. Now that I'm also excited to see about. Yeah, Avatar has had a, a risky history when it has come to video games. Yeah. Um, they haven't really been able to get a good handle on it. And I think anime video games in general, like video games based off of animated television series, really haven't hit the mark so hopefully this ends up being really great i the only reason why i didn't have it on the itinerary is i couldn't find a good source for it exactly yeah that, i literally saw one thing about it and i haven't seen anything else pop up that's why i'm like all right we gotta see how it kind of works out <laughs> yeah hopefully we get more news about that from the next week but among the the things that they probably won't do because i'm trying to think of the the comics and the books that they've made that are canon mm -hmm. to the avatar universe and i don't think that we're going to get a series about kiyoshi because we're currently getting books about her um we're not going to get stories tackling zuko's mother because we've gotten comics about that right. so and i and i don't think that they're going to want to tackle that story again um we're not going to get stories centered on Toph because we've gotten those before as well so I think it's more likely, based off of reports that we've heard in the past about them trying to get another Avatar series off the ground, that most of the stuff we're going to see is going to be new stories in this universe. So new new versions of the Avatar, new points in time, or new characters around the same time period as some of the stuff that we've already seen. Like, if they do Korra, there's so much of the world of Korra that we didn't get. Like, we didn't... There wasn't a single time that we really got a vivid look at the Fire Nation and Korra. So there's so much they could still do during that time period as well. Um, the one thing that we do know is that we're getting... The first project that the studio is working on is a featured animated film that's going to start productions um, soon, within the next couple months. Well, obviously, we know the win an Avatar movie didn't exactly go very well. That's all I will say about that. To have this animation team and studio behind it, I mean, obviously, it's already be a thousand times better, even if there are mishaps. And the with the 2021 animation, it, it, it might look very breathtaking, which would be cool to see. Obviously, with Castlevania and Blood of Zeus, those two shows are fantastic animation-wise. And while... This isn't exactly powerhouse animation. It w w with the advances in technology, it's still gonna look really good. Yeah, you can yeah. look at the style of animation and core that that South Korean studio that they brought on had, and it, and it's breathtaking when they had them on for the first sec uh, first third and fourth seasons, and that studio has since worked on Voltron for Netflix, and everything that they've done has been amazing so if they are able to get them back on for future avatar projects which i imagine will be the case because they probably they probably feel like the world of avatar is just as much their playhouse as it is for the original creators um so hopefully that's the case because then like we even if it wasn't them it would probably still look really good but for a studio that's already worked on this universe to put their hands back onto it i just can only imagine how good it would be yeah, that's fair. But yeah, it seems like this news comes... Nickelodeon made this deal capitalizing on the fact that Netflix lost um, the, the creators being involved with their own live-action remake of Avatar The Last Airbender due to creative issues, which we talked about, um, some of which last week, like the age-flipping of Sokka and Katara. 
So I, they're definitely taking advantage of the fact that these guys want to make more in this universe and are open to working on it again. They just needed the right place to do it. Yeah, this is what happens when you have a creative team really be in charge of what they want to do. Studio interference doesn't usually go very well. It's hard to think of examples where studios make changes that actually benefit the movie. Because yeah. usually, usually the person behind, but in charge of making a movie are, are the ones that like know it best and know what to do with it the best. So it, 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 basically Netflix really dropped the ball in this. They, they got too greedy with their own ambitions instead of just letting the showrunners do what they wanted. They just let the showrunners do what they wanted. Netflix, they, Netflix could have had this all to themselves. So this was just a made, this was just a, an example of arrogance coming back to buy a studio. Yeah, Netflix has been trying to get their own big fantasy franchise like Game of Thrones or Harry Potter or War of the Rings for a while. Um, they've been trying to do it with The Witcher. They're trying to do it with The Umbrella Academy. I think Stranger Things is really the only one that's even been kind of successful. And even then, it's not a wholly original idea, which heavily hinders it a bit. So we'll see... We'll see how if their Avatar The Last Airbender remake is any good. I think my idea is that probably won't be terrible, but it's not going to be anywhere near as good as the original. And it, it, as long as it like adds some aspects to the Avatar universe, then I'm good with it. But in no and I no one, and I repeat, no one should come into this expecting it to be as good as the original because you're just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, it's I've talked about this a bit on Twitter, but I personally believe that any drawn medium should never be adapted in the live action because you lose, you lose a lot of what made the original work so good. It's one of my issues that I have with as much as I love like live action comic book movies and such, I appreciate more what Japan is doing with anime and translating manga and the anime and things like what we've gone with into the spider-verse way more than i do um the live action marvel properties i still love them but i know there's a part of me that knows that i would love them even more if they were animated <laughs> it's a it's a very controversial take yeah i've had a few people get mad at me for that <laughs> oh yes I'm i would not like one to of them no i'm sorry go ahead sean i'll go after <laughs> um okay um yeah yeah, I, I remember uh, I remember a couple people getting upset at Winter for that take, but I'm not one of those people. I think, I mean, personally, I think there's much more you can do with animation than live action. So ha- having the MC, like, imagine if Thor Ragnarok was anime. Now, Thor Ragnarok is my favorite MC movie. It's in my, it's in my top five all-time favorite movies, which also is a hot take, but... I th- <laughs> I, I, trust me, I've 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 gotten roasted for that constantly, but by, by me especially. <laughs> what, whatever, whatever. As I look at my Thor Ragnarok poster in my room, but True. and the thing that the thing about Thor Ragnarok is like as great as it is in live action, like if it was animated, oh man, just everything on Sakaar would have just been insane. So I definitely think that animation is the best way to go when when you're adapting like comic books or manga. So I'm definitely one of those people that think that animation is not necessarily better than live action, but it it would work better for that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Matt, you can go ahead now. <laughs> right. No, I was really just agreeing with what uh, you and Sean said. Like, I like the live action. You know, they're they're really, really good. But I wouldn't mind seeing it animated as well. I could only imagine, you know, how, like he said, Ragnarok. Imagine if that was animated. We get to see some crazy things happening. Because, like you said, John, there's a lot that you can do with animation alone as compared to just doing live action. So, like, <clears throat> if they were to animate Ragnarok, right? Just imagine when <laughs> seeing Hulk going all crazy and how at, at the end of Ragnarok he is. And it, I would just personally love to see it animated. I'm not going to bash you for uh, that choice because I would probably have to hop on your bandwagon too because <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> animation yeah, it's one of the reasons why I'm so excited for Amazon's adaptation of Invincible, which we've talked quite about quite a few times on the podcast since the, the first trailer came out. But it Invincible is a story that's just as dark as what Amazon's been doing with the boys, but um, they're animating it instead of doing it in live action. Because it's instead of the boys, it's going to be a one-for-one one one adaptation of its source material. So I'm very excited for that because it'll be the first time, other than Spider-Verse, that we really get something that translates a 2D medium into animation in the West. Because, that's that's again, that's more of something that Japan does rather than us. Exactly. Speaking of Japan and anime, Demon Slayer's Mugen Train, the big hit movie, the highest grossing movie of last year, the highest um, grossing movie in Japan of all time, has officially passed Spirited Away to become the highest grossing Japanese film worldwide. This includes Spirited Away's multiple re-releases over the years, by the way. That that is just crazy. The fact that the Spirit Away, basically the most famous anime movie of all time, has been passed by Demon Slayer is just nuts. And it goes to show. It, it seems like every week we're talking Demon Slayer. It's like it's, it's just something I've noticed, but it deserves it because you know it's had such a huge cultural impact in Japan, and for that to be the case is just it's it's crazy, honestly, and. You know, I hope that it gets localized in English as soon as possible because I really want to check this out. Part of me is surprised, but the other part of me is not surprised because Demon Slayer, like just the anime alone, that was a work of art, like the animation that was put into it. So I could only imagine how much was put into this movie for it to pass Spirited Away. Like you said, Sean, Spirited Away is one of like the best anime movies, if not the best of all time. That's probably like the staple for Anyone who has seen an anime movie, they remembered Spirited Away. That's their go-to, if, if anything. For Demon Slayer to pass that and to become the number one, I can only imagine the art that we're going to see. The It's just going to be beautiful. That's all I can say. I'm excited. I hope that it comes over here as soon as possible because I'm not trying to watch it with someone else recording it in their movie theaters over there, see a little headstand up, and you're like, oh, come on. Right. Now, Ufotable is absolutely amazing when it comes to animation. Um, their other work, Fate Zero, is one of my favorite anime of all time. And Ufotable just goes all out when it comes to animation. Um, the movies that I've seen from them, the Heavens Feel movies from Fate Stay Night, are absolutely gorgeous. And if Demon Slayer even has a fraction of that in its animation for its movie, I can't even imagine how good it would be. I cannot wait for this thing to finally come to North America. We're getting it sometime this year, but it seems that 
Japan is trying to get a theatrical release for it here to make even more money than they already have. And as much as I would love to see it in theaters, I think that it's a much more safer right now to get it in digital or online or um, on a streaming service like like HBO Max, maybe, because I know Warner Brothers has a deal with mm-hmm. Crunchyroll right now. They get some of their anime on HBO Max. Right. Um, especially since the second season is coming up here really soon. <laughs> and considering that, unlike with My Hero Academia's movies, this Demon Slayer movie is required viewing, considering it takes place between the seasons of the show and the second season will heavily rely on its events. It's kind of necessary watching. Yeah, I like how they do that because it makes you, you know, go, go out of your way to to see more of it. But at the same time, it, it does like help with the season flow because it's obviously the movie ha- is an entire arc in the show and it allows a full like 24, 25 episode season. But you don't have to spend four or five episodes on this. You can you can focus on everything that season two needs to have it on, in it. But at the same time, like make it in such a grand way, and did they knock it out of the park or what? <laughs> Absolutely. But no, I'm I'm really excited for this. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to see it later this year. It's amazing that um, Demon Slayer is now the highest-grossing Japanese movie of all time. Again, it just goes to show how popular Demon Slayer is, not just in Japan but worldwide. Um, so. Yeah, very excited for what we're going to see later this year with Demon Slayer. Um, of course, the the shonen anime that's probably even more popular than Demon Slayer, but that's that might be because it's been around just a little longer, is My Hero Academia, which is arguably one of the most popular anime here in the West. I think that it's second after Attack on Titan right now, considering how popular this final season has been um, based off of its ratings on um, anime list. But My Hero Academia's fifth season recently received a new trailer showing off the events of this arc, as well as the opening and ending themes for this first half of the season. I'm beyond excited, you know, for for season five, you know, with the way season four ended after Endiverse fight, and then with Deku waking up to the dream he had, and then the light coming out of his hand, just to see how where they're going to pick up in season five you got to see a little preview of some of the outfits that they have on like i don't know if you guys noticed bakugo's outfit changed a little bit he's got more of like a black jacket it looked like on that that looked kind of cool that looked like it fit him so i'm kind of excited to see his outfit just alone but they have some catchy openings too for the past seasons they've had the newest one man it's just gonna be as catchy but that anime alone like you said john is so so popular with alone like the animation that it's had like in season four when he was fighting overhaul that animation was something different mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was elite so i'm excited to see what you know what they bring into season five you know i, I i'm sure they're gonna you know be bringing in the war you know there's gonna be a war happening if you guys already knew about that yeah i can't wait to see how that's gonna be animated yeah, we're, I, I don't know if we're going to get that in the first half of the season, but yeah, it, the ending of season four heavily implied that we're going to get a serious war between the heroes and the, the villains at some point. Um, with hev- and they've been heavily implying it since uh, Night Eye's introduction at the beginning of season four that we're probably going to see All Might die on screen at some point. 
<laughs> which none of us are ready for. Nope. Uh, Night Eyes Death annihilated me when it happened, so I can't imagine how how rough it's going to be watching All Might go away. Oh, that's going to be awful. Yeah. But before we get to that, we're, of course, going to have the, not necessarily like a, a battle-type thing between classes 1A and 1B, but maybe like just a, a friendly competition, which is, as we've mentioned in the podcast a little earlier, because we mentioned it when the poster for this season first came out. Um, but it's nice to see the members of Class 1B get the spotlight again, because we haven't really seen most of them since Season 3, since right before the the hero license exams yeah it's been a bit like the last time we really got an emphasis on 1b was the training camp to start season three right that was a while ago and it'll be nice to see characters like monoma and kendo again (laughs) Ugh, monoma (laughs) (laughs) i want to see tetsu tetsu and, and kirishima interact again yes Yes. Um, I'm <laughs> no, you go ahead, Matt. No, go ahead. I was literally just like, yes, I want to see that too. <laughs> yeah, because I want to see because we've gotten so much development of Kirishima and how unique his power set is. I know, like, when they were first introducing Tetsu Tetsu in season two, they did the whole joke that their powers were so similar. But I think that the further that we get into their unique abilities, the more we're going to see how different they are and how creative their powers can be when they aren't being compared to each other constantly. So that'll be really exciting. However, I think the most interesting thing to come out of this trailer is Shinzo, um, who of course was the brainwashing quirk kid from the, the tournament arc from season two that almost beat Deku. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see him sporting a character design very similar to Eraserhead, which we, me and Sean speculated a bit um, once when they first revealed this design in the poster, but it seems that um, Shinzo will be taking kind of a apprenticeship um, with a racer head, kind of similar to how Deku's relationship is with All Might. I would like that. To, I would like that to see you know him pretty much doing the same thing as Deku is with All Might, you know, kind of train under your racer head learn, you know, his fighting style and everything. That way he doesn't have to just rely on his words alone because you can't get everybody to just talk and answer your questions, you know. You just, you're just going to need to fight a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly why he lost in the tournament arc is because Deku didn't use his quirk against him at all. He just um, broke – he used it the break three of the brainwashing and then just pushed him out of bounds. He didn't use one for all the, the punch him or anything. He just beat him just because his body is built – better than his exactly and that's why you know hopefully they do show him you know kind of getting more physical and more you know get get more into fighting and like i said instead of just relying on his words like he was in the previous season yeah i know i think it was either season three or four where we saw shinzo briefly and deku commented on how much buffer he looked how much more muscle he had on his body than he did in season two so They've definitely been foreshadowing something like this happening a little bit in the anime, but I feel like I feel like that's something that the manga did a lot more of that just didn't get brought into the anime just because of how much story they have to deal with. Some things have to get left on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, the fifth season is currently set to debut on March 27th with the English dub premiering, hopefully on Funimation soon after that, considering how much better they've gotten at producing their dubs lately, despite the pandemic still raging. Yeah, and the, well, what I'm really excited to see is not only like the new outfits, but also with this like competition between 1A and 1B, like there's going to be more it's going to be it's going to feel like to a lesser extent like the tournament arc where it's more of like the heroes training and you know character development so it's going to be refreshing considering all the stuff that happened in season four dear god (laughs) (laughs) yes agreed yeah season i mean as much as i like season four it did kind of there was a lot that happened it felt very uh, event heavy, more so than any other season of the show, which has both, which is both a good and a bad thing. Uh, I think the the big issue is it takes away from um, focusing on singular stories, which I think seasons two and three were able to do really well. But at the same time, the contrast in genre and tone between the first half and second half of season four, I think, was really needed, and I think that. In the long run, as the show goes on and we get more and more seasons, um, we'll look back and probably like season four a lot more than we do initially. That is definitely true. Season four was the weakest season, in my opinion. But at the same time, there's still a lot of good that came from it. And the finale, honestly, when I, th- when I think about it, I think season four had the best like season finale in the show. Absolutely. The... The animation for the fight between Endeavor and the Nomu was just so good. It blew my mind that they put so much effort into what was just kind of a bookend. Because like you you expect things like the fight between Overhaul and Deku to be really good. Because he's the protagonist. Like We need him to look amazing because he's the main selling point for the show. Um, <laughs> so when we get a fight with Endeavor, who up to this point wasn't the most likable character in the show and it looks so good and you're rooting for him to win and you even have the introduction of a character like hawks who um zena robinson's performance in the english dub for this for those two episodes was so good that he won best english voice actor performance at the Crunchyroll awards for hawks so it's amazing to me how much effort not just the animation studio in japan put into this but also the English dub industry um, with Funimation in Texas did as well. It's just awesome. And I hope that we get more things as good as that in the next season. But yeah, and then the the other big shonen that Sean probably won't have a whole lot to say because he hasn't seen it. But I know that Matt is currently watching Jujutsu Kaisen. And considering how much you're posting about it on Facebook, I'm guessing you're loving it. (laughs) I am loving it. Just the fact alone that it won anime of the year without it even being done yet. That just that alone is like, wow. The end with every episode, I feel like that is just it's just something intense happening every episode like you know normally in animes yeah they'll have some intense stuff happening and then they take a couple episodes you know bring the viewers back in get calm you know like black clover they they they're good at that (laughs) they have intense and then they are slow jujutsu kaisen hasn't had a a slow moment at all out of all like was it 20 episodes now Mm -hmm. there hasn't been a dull moment at all i love it it the the animation alone of it, like when Joe, uh, when the teacher was fighting 
I believe the curse's name was Jogo or Jogu, the one with the volcano head. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. That's was... when um he used when he um takes his um blindfold off for the first time. Yes, that uh I couldn't help but still get Kakashi vibes because you know Kakashi always hiding the one eye. Right. He's hiding both. But yeah, no, Gojo's was... probably my favorite character in the whole show. He is. <laughs> He's just awesome. He is. he is awesome. He is the definition of OP in that show. Yeah, it's you have to always have the character that you know is going to be an absolute boss in fights. You need at least one character like that in every shonen anime, and Gojo is exactly that character for Jujutsu Kaisen. He is. I gotta say, one of my favorite characters so far, too, although he hasn't had much of a chance um, to really do much, but um, I forget his name, but the one who talks in food. Where he has the curse speech, but he can only talk in food. So he's like salmon or, you know, the little cheese balls. He can, because his right. words are too powerful to affect himself as well. But when in the, I believe it was episode 19, where you got to see him go against Hanami, the, the more it's, I, wanna, I like to call it the nature curse because she has on all the trees and stuff. Right. But him seeing, blowing her back, but at the same time affecting himself is just like, Will he overcome that? Like, is he going to get his own little, like, training to where he doesn't constantly have to cough up blood every time he does that? Yeah, my – so far, I think my favorite moment was the the end of the first half of the, the show when you had um, Itadori finally realize how dark the curses are and the fact that it's not – these aren't just, like, monsters doing this. There's real people behind – the actions that are willing to go as far as they want and the fact and the possibility that he'll have to kill someone at some point is just so it's so good and it's not something i expected the show to tackle when i first started watching it right and especially since he's so like anti-killing he will do anything that he has to to not kill anybody but we all know it there's going to be a point where he has to Mm -hmm. and although it's going to suck for him you know he's going to be sad in the show i'm kind of Kind of excited to see when it happens, if it does eventually. Yeah, it'll be a big character moment for him. Exactly. It's going to be a huge moment for him because he actually killed somebody finally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the repercussions of that will be huge, especially among the his classmates. And I think the one the one people that we haven't talked about are the some of the the other major characters in this. And I I know I'm trying I forget what his name is, but the the one with the black hair that um tried to fight, uh, tried to get the curse out of Itadori in the first episode. I don't remember his name is off the top of my head. Oh, but he has the uh, the Shikigami where he can do the demon dogs and then the yeah. owl. Yeah, where he can conjure stuff, yes. Yes, okay. He, I don't know if you had saw, you saw the uh, episode 19 where he dug I've his se- I've seen the, the fights. Ground. I've seen the fights from episode 19, but I haven't watched it all the way through yet. Yes, and he, in episode 19, he reaches into the ground because you remember in Earlier in the season, he starts digging his hand into the stairs when he's first meeting the other students. Right. And he just, he's like, what the heck? In episode 19, he reaches into the ground and just to a room full of weapons and just full of cursed weapons of different grades. And then you find out the weapons are graded the same way as the sorcerers are graded. Right. But that alone just shows that how much he's already grown, like... He couldn't do that before. He just figured it out. Now he can just reach into the ground out of nowhere and pull out a, a whole weapon, a whole sword if he wants to. Yeah, and 
I the magic system in Jujutsu Kaisen, the Jujutsu sorcery, is really unique, and I think it has so much more range than most other magic systems in Shonen. Because like I'm watching Fire Force um, and its second season right now, and as interesting as Fire Force is, I think that it's doing just a little too much with its world building. And I think that Jujutsu Kaisen's biggest plus is that the world of Jujutsu Kaisen is really grounded, but it's the stuff that goes on within it that's really interesting. I agree. It is definitely very interesting. And you said you're currently watching Fire Force Season 2? Yes. And how are you liking that so far? It's it's interesting. I like, um, I've talked about it a bit on, on Twitter because I like tweet whenever I'm watching an episode. But... Um, I really like most of the what are they called the even the evangelists. I like most of them <laughs> a lot. Um, I've talked about Inca a lot because I I actually really like Inca as a villain, even though she's completely despicable. I think that anytime she's on screen is just super entertaining. She's a funny one. Like she, yeah, like she just wants to get, kill people. You know, see some fire happening, but at the same time, you know, she's she's kind of funny. She's like smiling the whole time. Even though knowing that, like, and, you know, some people about to die. Like, yeah. she's just straight evil. Uh, yeah, she's a chaotic villain. And I think yeah. every show kind of needs that. Um, that's the reason why people love the Joker so much. <laughs> um, it's the reason why um, we are watching Ruby right now. It's the reason why we say that Tyrion is the best villain in Ruby, because he's exactly that way. He's the maniacal, laughing, crazy villain that just wants to see the world burn. And I think that every show needs at least one villain like that just to make the other villains seem sane by comparison. Right. Yeah, she definitely uh, makes some of them seem a little bit sane. Just Because I don't know if you remember when she first realized the, those powers and those mm-hmm. two guys that were with her, she didn't have to do her one friend like that. She set his crotch on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just straight murdered him. Like, cold blood. Yeah. Straight up, like... <laughs> but- I got to agree with you that I definitely like the evangelist a lot in uh, season two when they brought um, Caron onto it. The guy. Yeah, who oh, he's so it. cool. He's just such a, he's like, he's like a character like Alex Armstrong, but as from Full Metal, but as a villain. And it's yes. such an interesting concept. And I love that so much. <laughs> yes. He just, and um, have you gotten to the part where he, they're fighting the little kid yet? Yes. Yeah. At the, after they go and investigate the, big corporation that's running one of the big corporations behind the fire force yeah yeah and just seeing him like to him it doesn't matter what side that you're on in the end if you're a pillar he's gonna protect you no matter what side you're on and seeing that when he did all that protected shinra and everything Mm -hmm. that made me like him even more because he's not just some straight bad guy like he's gonna protect who he has to even if it costs him his life yeah and he's an idealist uh, that also has like, and it's interesting because, like, his heart is really in what he's doing. Like, he sees what he's doing as the greater good, which mm-hmm. is, which honestly always makes villains really interesting for me. It's the same reason why I like um, Raph so much in Full Metal Alchemist. Because right. it, Raph believes what he's doing is right. He believes that the world, that the people, and I talked about this in the article, that um, the people of a country need the, should serve the country, not the other way around. And he believes that as like the ultimate thing and that's why he's so okay with what father wants to do to the country and Mm -hmm. it's always interesting having villains like that that from their point of view what they're doing is the right thing that they are in the right they are the good guys in their story 
Right. And that's exactly how Caron is thinking. Caron is thinking. He thinks that, you know, he's in the right. He, whatever he's doing is the correct thing that should happen. And, you know, you can't blame him. He's an idealist, like you said, but unfortunately, he's going to have to get shut down one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's either going to get shut down or he's going to switch sides. I don't think the second thing's very likely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that'd be nice, right? To see him switch up a little bit, but I don't think it's very likely because of how much he wants to take care of Haumea, the one that yeah. he was raising, you know, for her whole life. Yeah. Speaking of Haumea, <laughs> Haumea is also um, just as interesting as Karan is as well, um, being a pillar that was raised by the evangelists instead of one found by them. It's really interesting. It is very interesting. Really I like how he story. had that little flashback of him trying to raise a kid and then she just kicks him in the stomach. <laughs> yeah, of course, because it's Karan, it doesn't do anything. Because Karan's whole power is that his his um, pyrokinesis basically allows him to cons- contain energy and make his body nearly indestructible. And I can't. That's just that's quite the power to have for the world that they are in. Absolutely. With everyone who can shoot fire at you, you can just take it and hold it in and just send it right back to them. Yeah, and I think that's definitely the thing that. Fire Force does really well is keeping, despite the fact that the like everyone is pyrokinesis, they do a good job of making each character's version of that pyrokinesis unique. Some of them are are better than others. Like I, I don't love Arthur's like sword thing, like the lightsaber type thing. I think that's a little. <laughs> oh yeah, sad. his little plasma sword. Yeah, like that's neat and all, but like there's just I've seen so many more like into like Incas, for example, where she can see fire popping up before they happen and then increase the potency of them is just mm-hmm. so cool <laughs> right and then but then just to only have a sword when everybody else can you know shoot fire out of their feet or they can see where the fire is going to pop up you come in with the plasma sword <laughs> absolutely i i'm excited to see where the we're going to go with the season end i think i have four four-ish episodes left i think because i just got to the part where um Maki got separated from the fire force be, um, because her father her didn't want her on the mission. Uh, yep, I remember that. I was I was pissed when they took her away, and I was like, "Dang, you can't just let her stay there." Yeah, I will say definitely it will give more interesting moments for for characters. Like I really like what they're doing with Juggernaut right now, because um, I just I've just got done with the first part of him and Tamaki's fight against that the one um, female evangelist oh my god you're gonna love the end of that fight (laughs) i will just tell you that i can't spoil it for you but that alone you're gonna be jumping out of your seat like what yeah i've been watching the i like watching um the english dub and japanese concurrently for anime which is one of the reasons why i'm so behind on fire force Mm -hmm. and it's definitely fire force is one of the more interesting cases of localization in my opinion because some of the some of the dub choices are really interesting. I don't know if I would say they're good, but they're really interesting. <laughs> and they definitely paint certain scenes in a different way, which I mean, since I don't speak Japanese, the subtitles are doing that too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's it's interesting to see the different choices in localization. And I that's how I view things like My Hero Academia and Dr. Stone as well. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I love Dr. Stone's dub so much is because there's a lot of things in the subtitles that since they're directly translating it, they don't quite convey the same meaning that some of the Japanese words have. And right. something that I think the English dub for Dr. Stone does much better, which is one of the rare cases where that's 
true. That doesn't right. happen very often. But yeah, um, you also recently started watching WandaVision, right? You watched the first episode yesterday? I watched actually the first two episodes yesterday. Awesome. All right. What did you think of the first two episodes of WandaVision? Because we've been watching it since it first started premiering. We've covered each new episode on the site, so we're huge fans of it. So far, I got to say, I'm actually, I'm really into it. I actually, um, I had my lady watching it with me and she thought I was just watching this straight old black and white TV show. She was like, what are you watching? And now, but I, it was funny. Like I was expecting something totally different. I was not expecting it to be like an old black and white TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> it's funny. They took a more comedic take on, you know, on with the show. You know, you see a vision trying to do magic tricks with uh, Wanda and then he gets the gum stuck in his stomach and, and then just acts a whole fool. But at the same time, I'm also like the, with the radio, that little radio scene where Wanda is with all the females and she hears someone saying, Wanda, Wanda, who's doing this to you? And then it just explodes right there. It causes the glass in the lady's hand to explode. Mm-hmm. So it has me thinking like, did they put themselves into like this world or did someone set them into it? Because in that same episode, she sees someone crawling out of the sewer. Right. And as soon as she sees him, exactly. She saw the beekeeper climbing out of the sewer. And as soon as she saw his face, she said, no, everything rewinded to where she found out that she was pregnant again. And so at that point I was like, all right, that's when some, that's when it clicked that either they put themselves there or someone put them in the world to where they just, can't really escape out of it yet yeah you're gonna have to watch more to to figure that out (laughs) i will tell you that they do reveal it okay that's all i need to be left completely questioning everything but because i was wondering if i'm just gonna have to wait to the end of the show or if it gets revealed already yes and no oh man Um, yes things will get revealed uh no you um you will actually have to wait to the end of the show to get everything Darn, I have, I'm, I'm going to stick it out. So far, I really liked episode one and two. I was about to start episode three yesterday, uh, yesterday but then, you know, I got a little bit busy. So that's actually what I'm going to be doing uh, later on today is trying to get caught up with the yeah. show. Yeah, most of the episodes do fall like the, the sitcom format where each where they're like increasing by decade and each episode is like based off a different sitcom. Like the first episode is supposed to be the Dick Van Dyke show. I think the second one is supposed to be um the brady bunch if i remember mm-hmm. correctly i believe so yeah and you'll you'll notice that more as especially once they get to the more modern ones you'll notice mm-hmm. it even more if you've seen right. those specific shows one of our biggest questions when we first started watching was whether it was wanda that was causing this because in the comics her power set is, she's one of the most powerful characters in marvel um she's so powerful that in the house of m storyline she rewrote the entire universe and made the mutants the dominant species on the planet instead of humanity right yeah so with like with her powers and like you said her being one of the strongest in the all of mcu that's why i was questioning i was like she could if she wanted to put them in that kind of world if she really wanted to but at the same time like for her to be to look that scared as she did in the show when she saw the beekeeper is what also made me question like okay maybe someone did put them into this not just her doing it herself yeah and then the the other thing is that vision kind of died in endgame so i'm sure you're wondering why he's alive exactly in the, yeah since it takes place after 
Because I definitely remember him, you know, getting the whole stone ripped out of his head as well. <laughs> and then, yeah, he kind of, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> he's very dead. There was a memorial for him at the beginning of Far From Home. <laughs> exactly. So I'm also like, okay, how is he back? So like either she did something or someone did it to them and I'm ready to find out. <laughs> yeah, I currently think it's probably one of the best things that Marvel has ever done. Um, just again, as someone that's seen the whole show without spoiling it, I think it's one of the best things that they've done. It's so interesting. There's so much creative creativity put into the show. It's very obvious that the people that are writing it love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it very much feels like one of those small, like single stories from the comics where you have one writer that takes pre-established stuff and then like twists it in a whole nother direction, which is one of the reasons why I'm loving what DC and Tom King are doing with Strange Adventures right now. I love that we're getting stuff like that in something as mainstream as the Marvel Cinematic Universe with WandaVision, because we've gone in Marvel television series before with like Ains of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Daredevil and Jessica Jones. But I think WandaVision is easily the most unique of them. Even if I don't think, even though I think Daredevil's slightly better, I, WandaVision just is so, it's so different. And I love different. I love unique and special and different. Right. And, saying, you know, different is good. You know, it's yeah, it breaks up the pacing is... a lot. Exactly. It's, I, I mean, it's one of the reasons why when I'm watching anime, I watch like five different. I watch like five different genres at a time. Like if I'm watching something like ReZero, I got to balance it out with um, Fruits Basket or Hori Mia or um, a big action shown in like Jujutsu Kaisen or Fire Force or Dr. Stone, because otherwise my brain is going to be stuck in that headspace for more than I would like it to be. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm the same way. I'll watch a couple action animes, maybe for a little bit, you know, like a big shonen one, but then I'll, I'll slow it down for a little bit, change the pace, go into maybe more of a slice of life anime, just like you said, change of pace. But then I'm getting right back into the action ones right after that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it was awesome to have you on. We're going to talk about the newest episode of WandaVision. We don't want to spoil it, the show for you. <laughs> no, you're yeah, I it appreciate so it. I'm about to start watching that right now. Um, I appreciate you know having me on here with you guys. John, it was great meeting you as well and just talking with, with both of y'all. Yeah, of course, dude. Yeah, I needed someone to bounce Pokemon off of since Sean's never played the single game before. <laughs> and you picked yeah, the right you. guy. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you for coming on this morning. Yeah, no, we, I needed a guest this week. <laughs> So I'm glad it was you. <laughs> and I'm glad it was me too. Again, I appreciate you know, reaching out to me and asking me to join. I, I had watched, a, I had listened to a couple of your podcasts. And so I was like, that'd be cool to be on there one time. Yeah, we've and had a few I, guests yeah. in the past from a couple of friends from high school before. So if you ever are interested in being on again, if you like have a topic that you'd really want to talk about, feel free to reach out to us. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I would love to be on here again. So we got to talk some more anime, man. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. There's we have we have been able to bring on like select people to talk about specific anime. Like we had a uh, and Bozeman on to talk about ReZero, and mm-hmm. we were trying to get um, Sam Gilligan on to talk about JoJo's, but that never panned out. And I finally was able to get him on to talk about The Mandalorian for our fifteenth episode before we broke mm-hmm. for winter. Yes, and we also had my roommate for Oregairu. Yeah, the the weed editor and publisher for the Rich Report, which is how I got my start in writing. Oh, nice. So, yeah, we converted him into a weeb by wa- by making him watch anime with us since he lives with Sean. 
and it's gone to the point where ReZero is now his favorite show of all time, above Game right of Thrones and Breaking Bad. You did the right thing. The anime path is the right path to take. It is. It's just, there, it's, it's a whole medium that he just never got exposed to, and it's always nice, because with Sean, I mean, he, when I showed him Full Metal Alchemist, he loved it, but I never quite got, like, the, introduce someone to their favorite show of all time. So for ReZero to be that for him just made me so happy. It was like the best birthday present I've gotten uh, ever. Couldn't <laughs> stop smiling, huh? It was. It made me like it simultaneously made me happy, but also kind of made frightened me a bit because of the pain that he's going to have to go through with ReZero because it's probably oh, one. Yeah. we've talked about it every week. It's one of the most. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's one of the most painful anime oh, no, ever made. Yeah, it is. Nah, <laughs> you put him onto one where he's gonna cry. <laughs> i did that you... i did that with one of my friends um he went to australia with us actually uh zach his zach west uh, i had put him onto an anime assassination assassination classroom and you know how that ends you've seen oh it. my god i watched assassination classroom for the first time a couple years back because uh quaden bozeman finally got me into it because he uh-huh. loves assassination classroom and that ending broke me it shattered me dude I, so I was watching good. it with my sister at the time and me and her both kids were just bawling and so he hits me up while he's in another state he's like yo you know what's a good anime to watch so i put him <laughs> on to that he messages me when he's like halfway through season one he was like hey does koro sensei eventually die because if he does i'm not gonna watch this anymore <laughs> i had to lie to him so i had to lie to him like no he doesn't die just watch the rest of the anime I, yeah, I've had to do that before with Sean and Cam. They can speak. Sean can speak of this from experience. I've had the lie to them about character deaths before, <laughs> or just like other major sports, like <clears throat> uh, a certain time travel anime. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> Sean. One of Sean's favorite shows is um, Erased. <laughs> and Erased I, one. I kept my mouth shut so long about the premise for Erased that when he finally watched it, his brain would explode. <laughs> so. yeah sometimes you got to keep it a secret or they won't watch it yeah it's the same thing with like god it was so hard for when we were going through jojo's for the first time it was so hard for me to keep the character deaths in jojo's a secret from him <laughs> i had to have a huge poker face for the entire time that we watched um <laughs> stardust crusaders you had to act like you didn't know what was going on already <laughs> exactly have you have you watched any of jojo Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen a couple episodes. I never finished it because I, when I had first starting watch, when I first started watching it, I was like, this the animation alone had was I was like, this looks kind of weird, but mm-hmm. I think I was thinking about giving it a second chance because I've heard great things about it, you know. Yeah. So if it's really as good as everyone says, it's, so. it's got to be worth the watch. Yeah. Now I might get I might get some uh, hate from this, not necessarily from Sean because I've talked with Sean about this before, but. If you have trouble getting into it with Phantom Blood, which is the first part with um, Jonathan Joestar as the protagonist, I would recommend either like skipping and starting with Battle Tendency or starting with um, the third season, Diamond is Unbreakable, because they're they're much better written and they have and they're way easier, in my opinion, to get into than Phantom Blood. Because Phantom Blood suffers a lot from, even even though it's still interesting and, and has a lot of good elements to it, it suffers from being the first part of JoJo that Araki wrote. 
So there's a lot of things that aren't quite as good there as there are as they are in later parts. Like especially the way that he, he writes character death mm-hmm. is so much better in later parts of the series than in the beginning of the show. Well, I might have to take your suggestion and just skip a little bit ahead, cause yeah. And then if you <laughs> and then if you're you like the characters and you want to see where some of them got their backstories, like if you watch Stardust Crusaders and you like Dio as a villain, you can go back to Phantom Blood and get his backstory. There you go. That's what I'll do then. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take too much of y'all's time. I know you got to talk about WandaVision. I, again, I appreciate you know, having me on here with you guys. And uh, hopefully I can be back on soon with some different topics. Yeah, absolutely. It was awesome having you on, dude. All yeah, right, man. thank well, you. Take care. John, have a good one. John, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, see you, dude. All right. So we watched episode eight of oh, WandaVision God. this week. And... Oh, God. <laughs> um. It might it might have uh, it might have uh, hurt us just a little little too much. Um, well, before Sean watched, I watched it on Friday because um, I, they were doing they were at a hockey game over the weekend, so I didn't know if we were going to be able to watch it together. So I watched it alone on Friday. And when we did finally get together to watch it last night um, on Saturday night, the night before that we're recording this, I mentioned that it. Um, caused similar pain to ReZero. Would you agree with that notion, Sean? <laughs> Dear God, yes. Yeah, last night's episode was really painful. Uh, yeah, for just for a little context, last night we were supposed to watch, like, I've never seen the movie Alien Aliens before. We were supposed to watch both of them because uh, I had to watch WandaVision because, you know, I didn't have time to because I had work all day the next morning. But I was so drained that I could only watch the first one because, dear God, this episode was draining. And, yeah, it was it was painful. So there were two, two particular moments that we'll get into just really hurt. Oh, my God. It hurt so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this episode, of course, dives into um, Wanda's past, which we, of course, got a little bit of information about in Age of Ultron back when she was first introduced into the MCU as well as recontextualizing some um, scenes between her and Vision and getting more of her chemistry with him and how their bond formed in the first place since it was already in, like, in existence and developing in Civil War. We really got to see how it began with this. Yeah, obviously we've talked about this in anime, but backstory episodes are usually some of the best. And now with this show, the best episode was the one with a bunch of flashbacks. But we also got a, a backstory, a flashback from someone else. Yeah, we got to see the backstory for Agatha Harkness and why she is as powerful as she is. Yeah, and it was during the Salem Witch Trials in the 1600s, which in high school I read a book called The Crucible, which was basically, which was basically a play about it. And yeah, I, know, I did too. Oh yeah, interesting. But yeah, no, it was a great book, and so I do know a bit about the Salem Witch Trials because of that, and to see that like in the MCU canonized and with with the tie-in. As someone who knows history as much as I do, I really like that. Yeah, it's um, – I, of course, know a bit about Agatha Harkness in the comics. I already – I knew that she had been around for a while. I knew that she would – that a lot of her backstory comes from the same witch trials, but it's really cool to actually get that in the show. But obviously the, the meat of this episode was Wanda confronting her past and 
and maybe and going through therapy in the process, even if that might not have been what Agatha Harkness originally intended for her to go through. This did this definitely helped her character a lot, in my opinion, even if it was really painful for her to go through it all again. Yes, because when she saw um, her with Hydra, she said, I don't want to go there, Mm -hmm. which is understandable. And one of the two moments that that really hit hard was when you see a young Wanda and Petro, they're they're watching uh, the Dick Van Dyke show Mm -hmm. and you just see Wanda, she's so happy watching it, which I'll have to be honest, our good friend, our good friend Samuel Turner, who is obsessed with sitcoms, I'm like, I'm like, wait, am I watching him in this show right now? Because he's really enjoying watching this sitcom. And then literally just out of nowhere, you just see an explosion. There's not even a warning. Like, no, there is a, there's a warning like a few minutes ago where you Yeah, you see, can see the fighting outside of the apartment um, that's true. going on. But it's it does it just seems like um, scrabbles on the ground, not an actual war. Yeah, and then and then you just see the explosion, and it, there's no warning. It just happens in an instant, and let's just say it maybe jump a bit, to say the least. Right. Yeah. No, I I really like um that scene because again, it's it's contextualizing why Wanda is seeing the sitcoms, and it's because as seen throughout this episode, it's the thing that comforted her during. Uh, and that distracted her from the pain that she was feeling. Um, when she was a kid, it distracted her from the from the danger going ar- on around her and the life that her that she was living with her parents. Um, when she was an adult, it distracted her from um, what was going on at the Hydra camp and what her and her brother were getting put through. It distracted her from um, coming to terms with her brother's death, and it also ultimately likely um, and it's what she's using to um, get over losing vision. Yeah. And then we see the real, really where their bonds are to develop and their conversation was just so pure and beautiful. It, it felt like a very authentic conversation with two people growing a bond with one another and mm-hmm. really enjoyed to see that. And I love what vision said, like it's not all gloom and doom without group. You know, there is no grief without love. Yeah, and I especially, I especially love the line, "What is grief but love persevering?" I've looked at um, Twitter to see the response from a lot of the the screenwriters and um, and film people that were watching the episode, and a lot of them were like, "Dang it! Why didn't I think of that?" It's such a brilliant line, and it it recontextualizes a lot of the the stuff that Wanda's been going through, and as well as why she and vision had the bond that they do because he, while he doesn't really understand grief or loss because he's never experienced it, his naivety and openness makes it so that he can understand Wanda's emotions despite not experiencing them himself. Yeah. It's one reason why the bond was developed and you really see, you know, I am a firm believer in opposites attract. I'm I'm a very I'm a very firm believer in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I think relationships really form like you know my, my new relationship. There's there's a lot of that aspect as well. And you see that in Wanda and Vision because Wanda has been through so much trauma, and Vision's meant is like experience wise, he's just a baby. But those two really match together and. 
they've created connection because of it. And I really enjoyed the simplicity of that. Like opposite the track is a real thing. I can attest to it from personal experience. I'm glad that this show kind of made an example of that as well. Yeah. It's definitely, I, I, I appreciate the show so much for going so far to develop Wanda and vision. Cause we've gotten the bits and pieces of their development in the movie, but this is like the first time where we really get to sit down and have time with them. And I think that not just Elizabeth, I mean, Elizabeth Olsen's getting a lot of praise with her performance over the course of the last few episodes. But I think Paul Bettany has just done an amazing job. The amount of range that he has shown throughout this, uh, throughout WandaVision is just insane. And it's crazy to think that Paul Bettany's role in the MCU started with him voicing Jarvis. And now he plays one of probably the most emotionally complicated characters in the show alongside Wanda. Yeah, it is. I mean, who would have thought who would have thought this would have been the case over 10 years ago? Not many. And I definitely love what they've done with Vision. You know, we've 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 sung his praises and I really enjoyed the dynamic that these two had, even though most of the episode was not involving Vision. Mm -hmm. And man, I think seeing Vision dying in Fendi War still hurts every single time. And that leads me to the moment that absolutely broke me, where Wanda goes to the sword headquarters to retrieve Vision's body so she can bury him, which makes sense, right? Yes. But the problem is, is that Vision, you know, is made of vibranium, which, as we've established many, many times in the MCU, it's extremely rare and valuable. Although rare, I don't think it's the best work considering a lot of movies involved around it. But that, but beside, that's beside the point. They are harvesting visions of vibranium since, you know, he's dead. And Wanda's not exactly happy about that. And you see Wanda, she shatters glass and she goes up to Vision and she, you know, tries to inject life in him. And, okay, this did not need to hurt hit as much as it did. But she mm. said, I, I can't feel you. I can't feel you. And that hurt so hard. For two reasons. First of all, considering the bond that she formed with Vision, for him to, for her to say that just hurt so much because I could just feel the pain in her voice. But second of all, when Vision died in Infinity War, Vision said, all I feel is you as she, as she you know, had to kill him. And, oh, it hurt so bad. It, it did not need to hit that hard, but it did. That's, that's the major reason why this episode was a painful one to watch. Yeah, and that that scene also um, recontextual like it, it changes what the information that we heard before because we, while we kind of assumed that this was the the case that Vision was some was created by Wanda within the hex, it's it's important that we actually see that this is that this is certainly the case um that what the direct what the acting director of sword said was was a complete lie she didn't take vision away from sword she just left without him and then created her own what what she perceived as vision um with her powers yeah and you really see that the director of shield he basically sword, has an agenda sword. sorry uh he he has an agenda 
you know, he, a, he obviously used uh, technology from what's inside the barrier and is about to infiltrate it, which great as if yeah. we didn't have enough issues already. Yeah. I like, um, we talked with John, with our friend Johnny Crane about this last time when we watched. Um, and I really like um, his theory that um, the directors for it specifically let Wanda look at vision because he, he wanted her to bring him back. He didn't care about what collateral damage might happen in the process. He just knew that she could bring back what he believes to be the most powerful sentient weapon ever made. Which is really messed up. Like, like vision is, mo- is way more than just a weapon. But he sees, he sees vision that way, and it's so messed up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, it, it's interesting how much sympathy he seems to show with Wanda during it, but when in reality he's just playing his cards right. Yeah, he's just, he's very manipulative. I mean, he's very intelligent. Uh, yeah. You, you got to give him that. He's very intelligent, but he's, he's extremely manipulative, and it just shows, it, it kind of makes civil war better in a way where you just see all these governments having agendas and that's why the sokovia accords like we're just we're stupid because all these governments have their own agendas and they and they could use them in a way to benefit what they want Mm -hmm. and that's just a really big problem and 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 only that but like wandavision has made like other mc movies but like like age of ultron being the main example now i love how this show has has made other mcu better films better kind of like what endgame did with thor the dark world yeah yeah it's making them retroactively more interesting because of how wandavision is dealing with the events of age of ultron the other big reveal that we got in this episode is that um the pietro the version of quicksilver that we've had for the last couple episodes um was likely just a random guy that agatha is manipulating yeah and it it that's very interesting because obviously Evan Peters played uh, Quicksilver in the X Men uh, movies, but here he's he's not that version. He's just some random guy that that she's manipulating, and it, it's it's really weird to wrap your head around all things considered. And I think that's the point, right? And and obviously Evan Peters is greatest Quicksilver as we as we've talked about, and. Agatha's a really entertaining villain, honestly. Yeah, um, the interesting thing about Agatha is that she's not necessarily um, fully antagonistic. She, the, the events of this episode happen because she wants to understand why Wanda is doing what she's doing. And it's very possible that the reason why Agatha is fighting her in the first place is because Agatha is scared of what Wanda potentially could do. Well, yeah, literally the episode ends with her realizing how dangerous Wanda is, and she is taking Wanda's children hostage because of it, which, mm-hmm. uh, that might not be the best idea. Probably not, but we'll see how it plays out in, in the final episode, since we only have one episode left, which is crazy. <laughs> it is, and I'm very excited for this final episode, obviously. I'm very sure they're going to stick the landing. I'm hoping personally that the way WandaVision ends is just as satisfying as how the Mandalorian season two ended. And I, I'm excited to uh, talk about next week. Uh, pro- probably have uh, Cameron Richardson, 
Richardson on for that as well as Johnny Cream possibly as well because we're, we're going to need more than just the two of us to talk about the finale, especially if it's really good. Yeah. Um, well, ReZero is also coming back next week as well. So we'll definitely have Cam Richardson on the podcast to talk about that. Yes, if he is able to, yeah, that would that would be great. So, so look forward to that. But yeah, very excited for this last episode. Absolutely. I also really appreciated that we finally got the name drop of Wanda being the Scarlet Witch in this episode. Yes, uh, it's always it's always great to hear the comic book thing because she hadn't been referred to that, but now she is, and it's just it's it's just a really neat moment. Yeah, and Agatha also implies. Uh, um, that Wanda already had the magic within her, that she used her power to stop the bomb from exploding when it crashed in front of them in Sokovia when they were kids. Um, and that the Mind Stone amplified what was already there, which means that it was very likely that she was born with her powers, which would mean that she is a mutant by definition. Yes, which that is very interesting to, because now that that the X-Men is in the MCU uh, with, with 21st Century being owned by Disney, like, yeah, mutants are now a thing, but th- there were two mutants here all along. And considering that these two were mutants in the comics, it, it completely makes sense. And I'm glad that they did that. Yeah. Any predictions for what the last episode might tackle? Well, basically, we kind of have a free fall because we have the sword director making his move and we have Agatha and Wanda about to coincide. So I feel like it's just going to be I feel like it's going to be like just a really big explosion of traumatic events. Like, I don't think we're going to be emotionally ready for this last episode. I don't and, think so either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm really what was going to say. I was I'm really hoping to see just Wanda just lose her mind like okay obviously that sounds really screwed up to say but obviously you know it's this whole show has been a ticking time bomb of her just absolutely exploding absolutely and we and and we saw that in this episode with how she reacted when she got to the home that Vision wanted them to live in in Westview yes that's how the barrier was created in the first place and we (laughs) And yes, I also like that where like that was that she built what Vision technically wanted himself, which is great. But it's going to be a very traumatic one. So there's going to be a lot of like clashing powers. And I feel like Wanda might actually be mentally insane after this. And this is going to be an issue that's going to be tackled more in Dr. Shane Multiverse of Madness, which considering if this sticks the landing and leads into that, Oh my gosh, are we in for a treat with that movie? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I'm very excited to see what the MCU does from here on out with how interesting and creative WandaVision has been. Um, They have proven to me that they can handle um, stories like this now. And I don't think that as as great as um, Falcon Winter Soldier is going to be, I don't think it'll be as anywhere near as good as WandaVision has been just because of how creative and unique the premise is. But um, I'm excited to see where the MCU goes after WandaVision because this is, this changes everything. It does. And obviously the Infinity Saga will go down in history as one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time. Like we, we obviously know this, 
Mm-hmm. But now the MCU is very different. And even though obviously COVID is very unfortunate, in a way it was it was good timing for the MCU because it basically allowed like to, to push like our pause button because we went about 18 months without without an MC without MCU content. 18 right. months. So I think those 18 months was was great for the MCU because it really allowed a reset button and now with WandaVision, we're basically reintroduced to the MCU in a way. Because the Infinity Saga ended with Far From Home as, as it acted like an epilogue in a way. Right. But now, it, we have we're, WandaVision's ushering in this brand new era of MCU. And and it's, it's interesting how like COVID actually benefited the MCU with that because it allowed... It allowed us to remove ourselves from the Infinity Saga and focus on what's going, what's going on forward. Because if there wasn't that eighteen month break, it would have been like, ugh, another Marvel movie, ugh, another one. Oh my gosh! But right. but because we got that break, we're now excited for every MCU thing, and it just feels something brand new. Absolutely, that'll do us for this week's episode of Nerd Explosion. Um, I'd once again like to um, thank Matt for joining us. It was awesome having him on the podcast, especially to discuss um, anime. Because <laughs> that conversation lasted way longer than I thought it was going to. <laughs> Sorry about that, Sean. <laughs> oh, it's all good. It's all good. Um, but, Sean, what do you have um, coming up from you on the site this week? Well, apologize for the lack of content. It's been really, been really, been really busy the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, with with school and a lot of stuff coming up, but obviously, I'll, I'll try to write a uh, college basketball article this week and, and and possibly try to try to finally do that. Why you should watch Snow White with red hair at some point, but yeah, yeah, not not fully sure, but obviously, like it's harder to it's harder to do content uh, during school, but but during like the the months in between school like that's where like a lot of content is look forward to that yeah no that's absolutely the case with me i um last week really slowed me down on content which is why i'm only just now getting the comic book reviews um this week and i'll have i of course have one coming out the day that we are recording this which will um be out by the time that this podcast is live i had the chance to read the first issue of scout comics by the horns which is a fantasy sci-fi western-ish comic about um a girl that likes to slay unicorns so um the first issue was really good so you can find that on the site i also read the most recent issue of crossover so hopefully i'll have a review um for that out soon as well and later today, I'm going to be watching the final episode of The Day I Became a God, which is the most recent anime by PA Works, the studio behind um, Angel Beats and Afri Ranman. And last week's episode left me in tears, so I imagine that this week's is going to do the same, and I, um, I can't wait to talk about all of that when I review it later this week. Yes, and obviously I'm assuming that you're, you will review uh, WandaVision when it ends. Absolutely. I will absolutely be reviewing WandaVision. Not probably not this coming weekend, but sometime during the week after that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, considering like all the, like the comic stuff in there as well. Like obviously, I know it's going to be a great one. So be sure to check that out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we have a lot of content coming out this week, so hopefully you'll check it out. But anyways, thank you for listening, and have a great rest of your day. <laughs>